we catch up with Paul just as he is preaching his first ever recorded sermon. And I was trying to find some kinship with um, Paul here. Um, um, but this being my first time up here in front of you, but I scrapped that. So um, my first sermon was unique, but so is Paul's, but in a totally different way. Um, so it's the Sabbath day, and Paul and his companions have gone to the synagogue, which is the Jewish place of worship. And this temple will be filled mostly with Jews and with Jewish leaders. And you might remember from stories with Jesus, the Jewish leaders are often presented as the bad guys um, that didn't like Jesus, that try and catch him out with tricky questions, shame him in public, and eventually want him dead. The Jews are the people of Israel, God's chosen people throughout the Old Testament. They thought they knew how to get to God by following his rules. And they didn't like that Jesus didn't keep the rules in the same way that he did, that they did. They didn't like that, they, that he hung out with sinners and tax collectors. But most of all, they didn't like that he claimed to be the Son of God who fulfilled the law and prophets, which is the Old Testament. So Paul, who also used to be a Jew, a Pharisee, is in the temple listening to someone read from the law and prophets, the Old Testament that Jesus claimed to fulfill. And Paul will be looking quite respectable, fitting in with other wise, learned men, and what the leaders of the synagogue say to everyone there is, brothers, if you have a word of exhortation for the people, please speak. They're asking, if anyone feels inclined, just come up and speak to everyone. So Paul does just that. He waves his hand in the air and says, listen to me. Now, this would have been relatively normal in the synagogue. Wise, respectable Jews would share thoughts with the congregation. But little did they know... Paul isn't there to proclaim the Jewish law. He is there to proclaim the gospel. It's a bit like if Michael said to us all earlier, does anyone else feel, feel like preaching today? And e even that's weird in its own, but you can imagine his face as you stood, stood up, pull, pulled out a new book. Hey guys, have you heard of the Bible 2.0? I, I heard you like Jesus, but well, here's a new and better Jesus. I can't imagine he'd be too happy. So back in chapter 9, when Paul was converted, God said, This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and to their kings and to the people of Israel. And that's exactly what he is doing in the synagogue, in the heart of Jewish culture and tradition. He is proclaiming God's name, the gospel, to the people that hated Jesus and his followers. Now, Paul's first recorded sermon is quite short here, and I don't want you to get the wrong impression. This was probably a very condensed version of a much longer speech. And I say that as I don't want you to go away thinking, well, if Paul can do a sermon in less than five minutes, then why can't Grace Church? <laughs> I'm not sure exactly how long the longest and shortest Grace Church sermons have been, but I know two things. Um, they've all been longer than five minutes, and Ben has preached both the longest and the shortest sermon. Um, <laughs> But how is my first or second sermon going to compare to Paul's first sermon? The sermon of God's chosen instruments. It will probably put mine to shame, so I thought I could borrow it and preach his sermon to you as well. Um, and So I'm going to read Paul's sermon to you now, uh, but I'm also going to do it with the power of fancy technology, which should even the playing field a little bit. Um, so I'm reading um, a similar part to what Michael read earlier from verse 17 of Acts 13. 
the God of the people of Israel chose our ancestors. He made the people prosper during their stay in Egypt. With mighty power, he led them out of that country. For about 40 years, he endured their conduct in the wilderness. And he overthrew seven nations in Canaan, giving their land to his people as their inheritance. All this took about 450 years. After this, God gave them judges until the time of Samuel the prophet. Then the people asked for a king, and he gave them Saul, son of Kish, of the tribe of Benjamin, who ruled 40 years. After removing Saul, he made David their king. God testified concerning him. I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. From this man's descendants, God has brought to Israel the Savior Jesus as he promised. Before the coming of Jesus, John preached repentance and baptism to all the people of Israel. As John was completing his work, he said, Who do you suppose I am? I am not the one you are looking for. But there is one coming after me whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. Fellow children of Abraham and you God-fearing Gentiles, it is to us that this message of salvation has been sent. The people of Jerusalem and their rulers did not recognize Jesus. Yet in condemning him, they fulfilled the words of the prophets that are read every Sabbath. Though they found no proper ground for a death sentence, they asked Pilate to have him executed. When they had carried out all that was written about him, they took him down from the cross and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead, and for many days he was seen by those who had traveled with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. They are now his witnesses to our people. We tell you the good news. What God promised our ancestors, he has fulfilled for us, their children, by raising up Jesus. As it is written in the second Psalm, you are my son, today I have become your father. And God raised him from the dead so that he will never be subject to decay. As God has said, I will give you the holy and sure blessings promised to David. So it is also stated elsewhere, you will not let your holy one see decay. Now when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. He was buried with his ancestors and his body decayed. But the one whom God raised from the dead did not see decay. Therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin, a justification you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses. Take care that what the prophets have said does not happen to you. Look, you scoffers, wander and perish, for I am going to do something in your days that you would never believe, even if someone told you. Okay, so I don't know how I'm supposed to follow that, but let me try and bring this all together for us. Paul started by going through the story of what we would call the Old Testament, which is the story of God's chosen people and God's actions towards them over the last few thousand years. For the people hearing this, these are concrete events in history that have shaped and defined their lives. These are real events with real people on actual dates in history, the lives of real people's families and ancestors. These are probably also some of the same events that were just being talked about in the synagogue before Paul was invited up to speak. I think everyone in here will have stories in your families and with your friends that just get told again and again. The ones that come out every Christmas, the ones that help you reminisce, the ones that help you embarrass people, the ones that you feel like you were there for even if you weren't born yet. In my family, we have a tragic but amazing story 
of a great, great uncle and how he lost both of his arms. Um, <laughs> he was about my age um, and he was sitting on the train admiring his new watch and he was leaning slightly out of the window as you could do back then and the next thing he knew, the watch is off of his wrist and flying through the air outside of the train. He then makes the split-second decision um, that um, he really wants that watch back, so he follows it out of the train. And I already told you where the story ended, um, but he did unfortunately lose both of his arms getting caught under the train. Apart from that, I believe he was fine. Um, 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 he went on to live a long and happy life. Um, I don't know if he ever got that watch back, um, but there, there's some irony in that I don't think he ever would have been able to enjoy it in quite the same way again. Um, he actually went on to become an art teacher, believe it or not. Um, um, and he had a basic metal arm replacement on one side. Um, I met my great uncle when I was a little kid, and I vividly remember shaking his metal hand and the firm, cold touch of his claw fingers. Um, and I mention this because we all have these stories that we tell again and again that feel alive to us. And that is what would have been like talking about um, the people of Israel as a Jew in the time of Paul. These events might seem far away and abstract to us, maybe even unbelievable, but to the people Paul is talking to, they are living, breathing memories. In his sermon, Paul describes how God chose his people, the Jews, the people of Israel, the ancestors of the people that Paul is preaching to at this moment. We hear about the Exodus, God acting faithfully to save his people. We hear about the rise and fall of judges and kings. And throughout all of that, the story of God, his people, and his promises. And I want to suggest, God doesn't make promises that he can't keep. He promises people lands, that there would be many descendants, and that they would have God's blessing. He promises people freedom from slavery in Egypt. God kept all of those promises. He is a faithful God that is alive and acting in history. And throughout the Old Testament, God promised a Messiah, someone that would save his people. And when God promises to his people that he will save them, you know he will. And I just want to walk us through some of those promises now so you can see how faithfully and amazingly God has loved his people and kept his promises. God promised it at the very beginning in the Garden of Eden that there would be one that would crush the head of Satan. God promised that he would ride into Jerusalem on a donkey, righteous and having salvation, coming with gentleness. God described him. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. God said, He would be pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garments. God said, The anointed one will be put to death and will have nothing. And God promised that he would be resurrected from the grave, for God would not allow his Holy One to suffer decay. Paul said in his sermon, God has brought to Israel the Savior Jesus as he promised. Isn't it amazing? All these promises that God made throughout history, he kept and fulfilled in Jesus. God made over 300 promises like this in the Old Testament that Jesus fulfills. 
But this isn't normal for the broken world we live in. This is exceptional. We live in a world that breaks its promises. We live in a world where if someone promises to call you later, you don't know if they ever will. Where politicians promise to make your life better if you vote for them. Um, where you promise you'll get out of bed in just a minute. Um, where someone promises you everything is going to be okay, but you know it won't. Where Netflix promises you six seasons, but you get two. Where Western countries promise freedom and success, but one in ten of those people are in poverty. Or where someone promises to love you forever, but you end up as one of the 42% of marriages that end in divorce. Everyone in here will be the victim and the perpetrator of broken promises, big or small. And maybe you feel untrusting, unwilling to open yourself up to that hurt again. Maybe you're a skeptic and like to see the worst in things so that you never get disappointed. Maybe you're always trying to seem the best of people. It pays off sometimes, but you do get hurt. Why do people break promises? Sometimes it's because we're selfish, and when the time comes to live up to the promise that we made, we just fall short. We choose our own comfort over the needs of someone else, even if that means breaking a promise. Sometimes we make promises because we are forced into it, or because it makes us or someone else feel a certain way. Sometimes we make stupid promises. When I was seven, I promised my five-year-old sister that I would buy her a horse lorry. Um, but th those are really expensive. <laughs> um, um, we might have brilliant intentions um, and the desire to keep promises, but sometimes we just promise a little too much. The promise I'll always be there for you. It's unfortunately not one you can ever be 100% sure you'll keep. And that is because we are weak and limited, subject to death. And there's just a limit on our ability to keep promises. But God is different. People may break their promises, but God keeps every single one of his. God has no selfish motivation, so he never falls short or chooses his own comfort. He never makes a promise he doesn't intend to keep. And he doesn't make stupid promises. Only God can make promises like, I'll always be there for you and keep them, because he isn't weak and limited. He is infinite in his wisdom and power and glory. He is the only thing in the universe that is totally trustworthy. Just look at his character. He has no brokenness or selfish motivations. He totally embodies love, honesty, and trustworthiness. Look at his actions. He has consistently kept his promises to his people that we see in real events on real days in history. Look at God and find comfort in his actions. When the rest of life feels broken and painful and untrustworthy, we can run to God and rest in him. We can trust that he won't ever stop loving us. We can trust that we will get to spend eternal life with him in a world where he wipes away every tear from every eye. In Paul's sermon, he specifically mentions two of God's promises that he will keep. He promises that there will be freedom from decay and forgiveness of sins. God promised that his Holy One would not see decay, and we see him keep that promise when Jesus was resurrected. God became man and died, but overcame the grave and proved his power over death and decay. And we get to share in that. We will be raised again in perfect bodies and have everlasting life. Jesus faced death for three days and was raised again. We will experience temporary decay, but will be raised to everlasting life. 
on that death, Jesus died in our place. He took the punishment for our sins. And God promises that is freely available to us. It's not a fairy tale or a carrot being dangled in front of you. This is the once in history act of Jesus dying in your place. And um, all we need to do is trust in him. Trust in his amazing, trustworthy power. God promises forgiveness of sins and freedom from decay. And God doesn't deal in half-hearted promises or ones that he won't keep. God has the character and strength to keep these promises. If you're feeling weighed down by sin or scared of death, then you can find comfort in a God that promises to free you from sin and decay. And a God that has the power to keep those promises. Back in the synagogue with Paul, I wonder what the Jewish people were thinking as Paul was talking. I can imagine it started out pretty well. Probably some nodding heads to some good old stories of God's people. The classics like Exodus and King David. No regrets about letting this guy speak just yet. But then he mentions Jesus. I'd have loved to be there to see the faces of the Jewish leaders as they realized that Paul wasn't in fact the respectable Jew that they had expected but God's chosen instrument, proclaiming the gospel in their temple. I don't want to spend too much time speculating, but I imagine that jaws would have dropped and there would have been some muttering and grumbling. We do know that some of the Jews would have been appalled at this, stewing away while Paul spoke, but others would have been eating his words up, genuinely, want, genuinely wanting to hear more about Jesus. So what is it that Paul is saying about Jesus? that Jesus brought the promised salvation, but the Jews didn't recognize him as the Son of God and had him killed. The Jews are waiting for a promised Messiah. They know and believe those promises, but they just didn't believe that Jesus fulfilled them. But even in rejecting and killing Jesus, the promises were kept. And this caused massive tension between the Jews and the Gentiles, which was everyone that wasn't a Jew. The following week, instead of going to the Jewish temple, the whole city gathered to hear Paul preach the gospel. The whole city. People were eating up the good news, and the gospel spread throughout the whole region. But the Jews didn't like this. They were jealous, and they started trying to contradict Paul. They heaped abuse on him and tried to rile people up against him. There would have been huge division between the people at this point, and the Jews forced Paul out of the region. The Jews killed Jesus because of his claims to fulfill the Old Testament, to be the promised one. But Paul here talks through the Old Testament and shows that Jesus is the fulfillment of that. This is the gospel, that it is all fulfilled in Jesus. No more waiting. Jesus is here. It all culminates in Jesus. The gospel has been described as a diamond, a diamond with lots of sides that all shine beautifully from different angles. And you can see different worlds of reflections and light from each angle. And it's been described like this because there are so many incredible angles to look at the gospel from, different ways to describe it and highlight why it's such good news. And I want to highlight this angle today, the angle that Paul is presenting us with. The good news is that Jesus fulfills the Old Testament. God kept his promises and answered them with Jesus. And Paul goes on to declare the gospel really explicitly and concisely here from verse 38 in the words, 
Therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin, a justification you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses. This is Paul's first recorded sermon, that God is faithful and keeps his promises, that Jesus fulfills the law and prophets, and through Jesus, you have forgiveness and freedom from sin. So why is that relevant to you? Why should you care that Jesus fulfills the Old Testament? If Jesus hadn't fulfilled the Old Testament, if God hadn't kept his promises, then we would be living in a world where the only way that people can be with God is by being perfect 100% of the time. Not 99.9999% of the time, but 100% perfection. The Jews thought they could, but that's not something that anyone is going to be able to do. When you feel the brokenness of the world, the hurt from unkept promises and the rest of the pain and decay that the world throws at you, you're experiencing a consequence of that distance that we have um, from God. Without Jesus, there is no way that we can be close to God and be free from the brokenness of the world, from sin and death. Jesus took the punishment for our sins. He lived a perfect life and he went to the cross and paid the price that we could never pay. He paved the way for us to have a relationship with God. And he proved his power over death and decay, paving the way to us having eternal life. And this is good news. It is the good news. Because Jesus fulfills the Old Testament, we get to be with God. We get to enjoy him in all his promise-keeping glory. All you have to do is trust him. And he is trustworthy, the thing most worthy of your trust in the whole universe, more than me, more than you, more than the air you breathe or the ground you stand on. 